Hi there, Tom D'Antoni at World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason for another OMN Coffee Shop Conversation, Constantly Raining Edition. This time we've got singer Monica Nelson here. She was in the historic 80s punk band The Obituaries here in Portland. She left Portland destroyed and in ruins and moved to New York where she lived for 20 years. She returned a few years ago and now leads Monica Nelson and the Highgates. I'm pretty sure we're going to find out what she means by a punk rock frame of mind. Next time we'll talk to bassist Glenn Moore of the band Oregon, who has a new duo album with fellow bassist David Friesen. But now, let's meet the one and only Monica Nelson. Welcome to the cupping room. That's what we're in. This is the cupping room. That sounds slightly ribald. <laughs> yes. Uh, you're not the first to comment on that. But uh, <laughs> uh, the last person I had in here uh, thought it was some sort of Chinese medicine. They put cups on. I don't know. They put cups on your... Do- I don't know what yeah. that's about. Suction cups. Something like suction cups. I, probably. Or, or, or maybe they have like leeches they put on your... I don't think so. They don't, they don't it leeches. made me think of the champagne room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't use leeches anymore, do they? Um, yeah, they do, actually. They do, really? Yes. Who uses leeches? Uh, nobody I know. But oh, thank God. <laughs> nobody who tells me. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. Well, sure. Um, how long have you been back in town? A little over three years. Yeah. I was gone for, I think, 22 years. Wow. And I would come back uh, once a year, once every few years to play a show with a band uh-huh. or, you know, some kind of combo. Uh-huh. Um, I run away every 22 years, apparently. <laughs> what did you run away from? Oh, um, I ran away from home here when I was about 22 or 23. Yeah. Um, uh, I was in an up-and-coming band, and I wanted to run away from the lifestyle and really? things that were. Um, if you're in an up-and-coming band, you know, a young uh-huh. up-and-coming person, people will throw you free drugs, free sex. N- people won't ever tell you no, and you know, if you're an insecure person and a very shy person, uh-huh. um, you know, you can get really. Um, caught up in that maelstrom uh-huh. or um, um, only let certain people in that maybe not be you know the best yeah. for you yeah yeah and yeah. Um, I've since learned yes uh, don't just let a few in let everybody in because that way the um, the chances of, of surrounding yourself by good people are greater uh-huh. I didn't know that when I was young uh. um, so anyway and then yeah, 22 years later, it was time to run away from that home in New York City. <laughs> I like to shake it up every 22 years. I'm a rebel. <laughs> so you, the, the obituaries formed in the early 80s, right? Um, 1986. 86, yeah. okay. This was sort of in the sort of second wave of punk, and but before grunge, right? Yeah, we were, we were one of the bands that was a precursor to grunge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the obituaries... Um, 
was called uh, in the Willamette Week uh, online as the 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 link in the chain between the wipers and Nirvana, uh -huh. which I kind of agree with. Yeah, and but, I'm modest too. <laughs> but you you didn't consider yourself that at the time. Grunge? No, we no, were. I mean, because if how, you, well, you, how, you, I guess you couldn't because you can't you can't know that you're a precursor to something. Well, <laughs> the sound of our music was punk, blues, uh -huh. metal, uh -huh. but we all considered ourselves punk musicians. Uh -huh because punk is a state of mind, and it just means that there's no box. It means if you want to go off and sing jazz, you can do that, but uh -huh. you're, not, you're not labeled, you know? Yeah. Or if you want to sing in a country and western barn for a night, it's, it's all yeah. encompassing. Yeah. Um, it just means, punk means freedom to do whatever you feel like creating. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, to me anyway, to some people it might be, you know, a dress code or, yeah. you know, a certain style of music. Yeah, definitely, definitely both. Yeah. Both. I think for most people. Everybody's got their own church. Yes. That's all. Because <laughs> um, I was around when, the, when, the, uh, when that whole thing started, you know. Uh, you know. As a matter of fact, I, 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 it was a line from a review of mine of the first Ramones album that made it into it into an ad, into one of their ads. Wow, <laughs> impressive! Uh, one, two, three, four. <laughs> That's not that was not my line. Yeah, that was the Ramones. <laughs> impressive, nonetheless. <laughs> um, so, was there a time when you you when you first considered yourself a punk? In that, in that, in that, in that era, I uh, was it something that you adopted? Were you no, not like, I just, were you I just like fell into before? it. I just fell into it. I met uh -huh. when I was seventeen. Uh -huh. I uh, got a job at McDonald's, and I met a guy <laughs> who was just a few years older than me, and he was in a punk band and had a lot of punk friends, and uh -huh. we, you know, we were going out. Then we got married and. Um, I was going to all his friends' shows, and I, m at the time, had been in a couple top 40 bands. Really? You know, singing Missing Persons and Scandal. Oh, really? And, and I was like, you know, <laughs> 16 and a half, 17, you know, and all these guys are in their 30s. And um, What kind of places would you play then? Oh, well, with each band, we played exactly one show. Oh. <laughs> um, it, you know, it was... So um, it, it, I, I, I had to leave that because I wanted to bring an or original song yeah. into the mix. Yeah. So I brought a song I'd written, and it was a song about um, the, relation, the, the ra rather controlling relationship between Adolf Hitler and his niece, Jelly Raubel. Oh, uh, yeah. And it wasn't the best song in the world, but it was pretty good <laughs> for a first effort. And I got them to play it. I thought it sounded pretty good. I still have that tape. <laughs> they hated the premise of of doing, of, of creating something that, you know, didn't already have a template. And they, basically what they said to me was, we are not qualified to write our own songs. We're not qualified, like Bruce Springsteen, uh -huh. which is a ridiculous thing to say. So I fell into the obituaries, and the way I fell into that, they, they, um, they lost their singer. They were together. They weren't the obituaries. They were called something else. Uh -huh. And they needed a singer, and they'd never heard me sing before, but they thought I was pretty. 
So they invited me to a practice and um, wiped their foreheads in relief that I brought a def- I brought a backpack full of lyrics, <laughs> which um, I had written. I, I that that first practice, uh, I just started screaming my uh, lyrics about all these um, heavy duty things. And I loved it because I had just mo- I just got married and moved out of my parents' house, so I couldn't afford therapy anymore. <laughs> so being on stage was great. I could, oh yeah, you know, convey oh, yeah. what yeah. was going on with me in yeah. a very and yeah. and scream, and nobody was yelling at me. Uh, you know, nobody, just shut up. Nobody ever talks about that the the therapeutic uh, virtues of, of it, performing. It is. I mean, I, even people who are hardcore karaoke singers who do it for fun. I met I met a guy once, and he said he's he fell into it hardcore a few years ago yeah. and I said it unlocks it unlocks the demons in your head right yeah, and he yeah, said yeah you yeah. get it you get it <laughs> that there is something very uh, it, it soothes my brain to sing yeah it yeah. Uh, it's my happy place yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. and that's where I've always been fearless about um, what I want to say to people or I what I want them to know about me or what I want to point out about them, which I have not always been able to do verbally face-to-face with people. Hmm. Of course, now, as you can testify, I say whatever the hell is yes. on my mind. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, uh, uh, I, I wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have my radio show, because it is total therapy, you know? I go, I'll, I'll play a set, and, and I'll go like, what was that about? And then I'll, and then I'll, I'll uh, the, the next day because I'm, I'm making it up as I go. The next day I'll sit, I'll, I'll go sit, sit in the coffee shop and listen to my show and figure out what I was doing. But also the beauty of that, the beauty of what you and I do, we're sharing art with other people yeah. and they're sharing it back because yeah. it's all this. It's a collective. You know, yeah. Yeah. we are not more important than the the listeners or the audience. It's yeah. it's this this uh, big ball of energy. Yeah. That's bouncing back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Um, so at, at at that time, what 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 were your songs about? Oh, in the obituaries. Yeah. Um, we had one about a stalker. Uh-huh. We had one about gang rape and uh, therapy, um, sexual abuse. We had one about uh, well. There were a lot of suicide lyrics. Uh-huh. Um, I've written a lot of, <laughs> I wrote a lot of suicide notes and just turned them into lyrics and then I'd feel better. <laughs> you know, I'd just sing them and feel better. So there was a lot of things about suicide. Um, uh, tragic starlets, uh, uh-huh. uh, addiction. And we had a song called the Bad Habit Song, which some people assumed about it was about drug addiction and some other people assumed it was about like sexual things uh-huh. and um you know i mean it doesn't when when if for me when i write lyrics if i write a song if 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 there's um sometimes it's best not to specifically say what um uh-huh. what inspired it uh-huh. because that might take away from the listener yeah um um, applying it to their own lives. 
or figuring out what it means to them. Yeah. You know, y yeah. it yeah. kind of takes away from their imagination. Especially on stage. That's the worst thing about poets. It's when they get up on stage and explain to you before they read their poem what their poem's about. Well, <laughs> I would never do that. No, no please, but please, please, please. Shut up. Just read the poem. Uh, you know. <laughs> um, well, people have their different methods. Yeah. Whatever good. makes people happy and comfortable. Yeah, that and we're all working out our own, very true. own things in our own way. Very true. Very true. But, uh, um, so. Uh, Me, I prefer Richard Browdigan. Ah, really? The economy of words. Ah, very good. Not that I have economy of words, but I'm learning. But he's my favorite poet. <laughs> really? Interesting. Oh, okay, so um, so you, you know you're you starting to find some success with this band, huh? Well, we were we were um, uh, touring and getting some really great write out write ups um, right out of the gate. And another thing, um, when you're when you're 18 or actually when you're any age, reviews are not for you, the artist, to read. No. no. And if you're an 18-year-old and you're, you know, kind of insecure and feeling alone, um, even if the reviews are really stellar, mm -hmm. which ours were, yeah. and about me in particular, it can really kind of mess with your head. It can oh, yeah. kind of make you um, too, really scared to leave the house and really scared to even get on stage because you might not live up to oh, yeah. uh, people's perceptions. And um, uh, also, you know, uh, back then there were a few people close to me that kept um, uh, strongly encouraging me to dress sexier. Um, kind of making me feel like a piece of meat, which made me go the opposite way. Is because right? I just wanted to be a floating, it made yeah, me want to be yeah, a floating yeah. head on stage, wow. uh, just singing, you know, the lyrics and like not really being seen in any other, you know, all that mattered was the, the lyrics and my voice to me. So it, kinda, it made me really self-conscious for several years. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, when people are writing, you know, the things that they wrote about me, I just, the, the point is, I, I should have never read my own reviews. Reviews are for the audience. Consumers. Yes, right. the consumer. Right. Right. And, um, and yeah, so just, yeah, I should, people should never read their own reviews, good or bad, because it can mess with your head. Um, having said that, though, if everybody in the world back then, and I don't sing as, I don't sing like I do now. I mean, every year I get stronger and better as a singer, I think, you know, mm -hmm. and I enjoy my singing more, but I've always enjoyed it. But I started at a certain rudimentary place and some people who didn't like punk rock or screaming said that I was terrible and it didn't matter to me and it wouldn't have mattered me, to me if anybody, if everybody said I stunk, because I would have, I still needed to sing yeah. in order to breathe. Right. I just maybe wouldn't have sang in but public, worse, or I would have but gone. But it, but it was worse that you got good reviews. Well, yeah, because um, yeah, we, yeah, yeah we were uh, we were oh. getting up there and being able to finance tours and um, you know the, the the few recordings that we did put so out. So how did you react to that pressure? 
oh, well, I, I, I was probably a walking nervous breakdown all the time off stage yeah. and maybe even on stage. Um, but, you know, I, I got through it. I pushed through it. And basically, I lived back then, I lived for the next show, the next recording, uh-huh. the next time we could tour, um, the next practice. And I just, whatever else was going on in my life, it, it was meant to fill up time until I could do something musical. And that's not really a health, that's not a healthy uh, emotional diet. But that's what was going on with me back then. Huh. And um, so, yeah, I was, I was kind of a walking nervous breakdown, which is why I ran away at the tender age of 22 or 23 or whenever it was. So what was your favorite place to play here back then? Oh, hands down, Satyricon. Okay. That, was, that, was, that was my home. George, George was like the father I never had. Sorry, dead dad. Oh, but uh, <laughs> No, George was my spiritual father. Yeah. And, and not just to me, but to a lot of people. Uh-huh. And I just felt so safe there. And, uh, and I also felt safe there artistically because everybody else, I could tell that everybody else was being treated safe uh-huh. artistically nurtured I, nurtured is the word mm-hmm. and that's i mean that was my favorite place okay so if the if the reviews uh weren't healthy for you well not for me reading and taking it all right. um, you know but that was literally that, that, that is totally different from the response from the audience right oh yeah well people had a good time and yeah. if they didn't then you know that's fine too well, they didn't tell you they had. A, they, they, uh, they wouldn't be there unless they. they oh, as far they as I know, you. we had some people humping the stage, and we had. There was one <laughs> show we played at the Starry Night where, some guy in the crowd. I, we were playing with, um, the band that turned into the Dandy Warhols, uh-huh. um, Starry Night, and some some dude in the crowd yelled out, you know, show me your, you know. Uh-huh. And I yelled back, uh, you know, show me your bleep. And then somebody threw a pair of pants on stage. (laughs) And his wallet was in it. And then some more people started throwing their, like, articles of clothing on stage. (laughs) And that was bizarre and weird. And it's like, you can get drunk with power over stuff like that. Yeah. That was not, that was not nice. Well, it wasn't a way. <laughs> well, anyway, so um, the re- I mean, when I ran away to New York, uh, I there, I just had this total. Uh, it was a, it was a total atmosphere where I could just learn to strengthen my songwriting, uh, learn to become a more confident stage performer, mm-hmm. and. Um, just work really hard at my singing not with vocal lessons or anything I've never had vocal lessons but just like hey this is what this song needs and I've you know that that I've written or co-written so I need to learn how to sing it in a way that it should be sung Um, because you know there nobody had time to you know go treating people like rock stars or nobody had time to go acting like rock stars. I mean, there's so many musicians, so much competition. Um, um, 
you know, everybody's busy, like, trying to get label deals and stuff, so I could just be left to my own devices, putting together bands and sort of being under the radar but learning how to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And the way I really got over my stage fright was actually being a backup singer in a, in a Latin band. Really? Yes. That was fun. Oh. Some of my friends were asking, uh, you're a rock singer, you're a punk singer, why are you in a Latin band? And I said, because it's fun. I'm learning a lot. Yeah. I mean, Latin yeah. percussion is sexy. Yeah, but very. because I wasn't the focal point for the very first time, I learned how to enjoy myself on stage fully. I mean, um, every show I ever played, I would eventually get to the point where I would enjoy myself. But mm -hmm. at first, I would go out there very nervous and very just not living in the moment. Huh. Um, kind of like how I've, I've heard some comics have said that they felt when they were starting out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just not enjoying the set yeah. right when they get out there and, and right. being, you know, advised, no, get out there like you've already been killing it for 15 minutes. Right. That's what uh, um, some do people working with Dolly Parton uh, told Brett Butler, the comedian. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can, you can be on her variety show, but, you know, when you get out there, get out there like you've been killing it for 15 minutes already. Yeah. Yeah. It also helped reading something like that, you know, uh -huh. advice to somebody else. So things started to slow down for you. Well, not slow down, but, but just. And, and, and what I mean, and well, what I what I mean by that is, it, it sort of. I could concentrate more on what I was doing without all the. I'm not going to say artifice, but yeah, um, just the trappings of being a popular musician. Mm -hmm. I'm not, not to say that I don't want to be popular now that I'm yes. back. Yo, <laughs> hello. <laughs> now I'm ready, dude. Yeah. And, and um, it, it, you're, you're doing this series at, at the White Eagle. Oh, yeah. Where you're doing acoustic metal. What is acoustic metal? Well, it's heavy gone acoustic. And what it is, okay, we, the, Monica Nelson and the Highgates are... The majority of shows we've played since our inception uh -huh. three years ago has been hard rock, very hard rock, punk. Mm -hmm. um, we wanted to start this series because there is another side of us and there's another side of a lot of hard punk rock musicians that audiences don't really get to see stripped down, acoustic or semi-acoustic. And it gives us all a chance to hone our, our gentler side, our more acoustic side. Mm -hmm. And um, heck, if, if the White House ever calls any of us, want, you know, <laughs> wanting any of us to um, you know, play acoustic at a White House ball, we, we want to be ready. We want to be able to do it. You know? We don't want to have to turn it down because no, we're not comfortable doing that. We're not used to doing that. So it, I mean, it's, I love that. I love that because... I, um, so, are you taking your own songs that were yes. in, in, in the other in the, well, we, the other format and and, and well, we have recasting them? Um, is some in, in some of the songs, yes. And then we have uh, we have a couple of sets that we've written that are, you know, better suited to acoustic. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, in the end, for me, uh, a song that I like to write can be done in any. Um, format, jazz, country, hard rock, acoustic, you know, um, 
you know, when it comes to the high gates. But um, yeah, there's certain songs that don't tra that we have d that sound better hard rock that we don't bring in. Um, but I mean, we're we're always writing new songs and more songs, which is what I love about this band. I was in a band once in New York, which a really great band, but we wrote just enough songs to get on stage, yeah. and we were playing every month. And you want the same people to come back, and you want new people to come, and you don't want to just keep giving them the same songs. And right. I, I don't know, maybe we just wrote enough songs to get on stage, so <laughs> some people could get the chicks. I don't know, <laughs> but it, it, it got to be a little embarrassing oh. because the obituaries were very prolific songwriting-wise. Uh -huh. We just that you know we wanted a big songbook. Which, which we got. And, uh, and even after the obituary, even after I moved to New York, uh, Rob Landall from the obituaries and I would get together every few years and write a batch of songs mm -hmm. and play them around town. And so we have a lot of babies. I like to think of songs as babies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who is in this band? The Highgates? Yeah. John Allen Naylor, mm -hmm. Johnny Naylor, he was... Uh, for a time, the bass player in the obituaries, and we toured together. And he is the guitarist for the Highgates. Uh, Jeffrey Larson is the bass player. He's also in the Exacerbators, mm -hmm. uh, a favorite band of ours. And Joe Sanderson is the drummer. And those guys have known each other maybe 30 years. And I've known Johnny since uh, 1986. And it's my favorite band by far. Oh. Um, one of the main reasons is because there's no... Um, I don't know if any other musician has ever experienced this, but, you know, uh, um, drama. Drama. <laughs> and and uh, mindfuck, you know, just, you know messing with people and trying to, you know, control people or trying to make them miserable or taking your misery out on others or bringing your baggage into the, you know, practice space or the shows and, you know, I don't know if any other musician in town has experienced that besides me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. So anyway, there's none of that there. I mean, they, you know, they treat me like a princess, um, like a like a princess sister, um, uh, they're very supportive. I mean, they, if, I, if anybody thinks I sing really good, it's because of them, because I'm only as good as who I'm with uh -huh. musically. And they just, I don't have to worry about them. They're not going to go off the deep end or like, <laughs> you know, not show up for a show or not show up for a practice. Yeah. So yeah. with this band, now that I don't have to worry about that stuff, and now that I don't have to babysit some people, or worry about being picked on yeah. by some people, yeah. now I can fully concentrate on what I'm, what I'm supposed to do, singing and writing lyrics. It's, yeah. I never knew it could be like that. I always, I'd always experienced drama in bands. Oh. And yeah, I've, I've never known this. Well, congratulations. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's about time. Yeah, really. But, you know, I mean, a lot of it has to come comes with musicians feeling comfortable with their talent mm -hmm. and respecting their talent and respecting those around them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not wanting to 
dick anybody around, you know? Because uh, all that matters is the music, not people's drama, yeah. not how much you can control someone's moods or kick them around, you know, or bully them. So what are you writing about now? Well, my mom asked me that once, like, oh, now that you're getting happier, do you, have your lyrics <laughs> suffered? That was a very astute question. Absolutely. She's never asked me a question about music before. Yeah. So no, I'm still full of the piss and vinegar. Mm -hmm. um, one of the songs we have, Hypocrites, which is on that EP that you have there, um, is about uh, this family who totally treated me like shit uh, this, you know, extended family. You totally treated me like shit. Thought I was worse than garbage. Um, trash talked me. Got everybody else to, you know, believe lies about me. And so I wrote those lyrics about them. And then someone who I really love, who was related to them for a while, um, got dicked around by them too. Huh. And I hear that people mutual relatives were listening to that song hypocrites before the funeral because they hated these awful people too because wow. yeah so i write about jerks and i write about depression and i write about addiction we have one love song what? we have one happy love song okay. because some a, a couple a couple of people they met at our show last year they met for the first time and they got engaged and they just got married. And I figured, heck, if people are gonna go meet and at our shows and falling in love and getting engaged, that's beautiful. I mean, we should, we should have something, I mean, that makes me feel like writing some love stuff. That's not a bad idea. Do you are 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 you are you fighting it uh, fighting yourself against that? No, it's just it, writing about it doesn't come naturally to me. Huh. In the obituaries, maybe a happy love song. Out of all the songs we had, we, I, we I maybe we maybe have like one or two happy love songs. It just doesn't. I mean, I don't need to write about stuff that makes me happy. I need to write about the stuff that you know, like the. the the psychic, psychic vomit in my brain that I need to get out to, in order to make myself feel better uh -huh. or maybe make somebody else feel better because I see that they're going through something that looks like that. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, there, there's enough people in the world who write about happy stuff. So, I, you know, I, this is my comfortable niche. For now. For now. Yes. For now. Maybe when I'm 80, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll really uh, be interested in venturing into writing uh, children's songs or lyrics for children's songs. You never know where you're going to be. I mean, being a musician is, it's like being an immigration lawyer. <laughs> what do you mean? Wait, 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 hear me out. <laughs> Because it's always changing. Like immigration uh -huh. laws are always changing and you yeah. gotta grow and you gotta keep up with it. Yeah. And I mean, being a musician, there's, there's, there's no limit to how far you can grow. And once you've mastered all the things you think you've mastered, uh, you can go pick up the tuba and learn the tuba or some, you know, um, 
African instrument that you've never heard of. Uh-huh. Uh, you can learn, I mean, I could start studying Tuvian throat singing you could. next year. All you got to do is call up Enrique. Yes. <laughs> I s- oh, I was on a bill with him. That was yeah. impressive. Yeah. I, love, I love him. I, um, love so I had him in here. I, I've, I've always loved Enrique. He's a great guy. And I, I mean, I just never loved, I, I just never stopped learning mm-hmm. or wanting to learn. So, I mean, I may be old. And I may have been around a long time, but I could go anywhere right now and feel like a neophyte mm. in some musical setting, like in, like go singing with a jazz band or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'll be the neophyte, and I'll be learning, and I'll feel like I'm 16 or yeah, something. Yeah. And that's really cool. It's cool to feel that way. Right. Yeah. I mean, who wants to be a brilliant know-it-all? Yeah. That would be lonely. I, I would like that. That would be lonely pontificating all the time. Well, the thing is, if you know it all, you don't pontificate. <gasps> oh, that's right. Because you know, you you know, you know that you, you know better. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's why. Food I, for thought. That's that's why I don't know it all. <laughs> so, um, is there a particular time of day or night uh, or place where you write? Oh, it's always at night. Yeah. And it's because that's when the world is quiet. Uh-huh. That's when nobody's coming in, interrupting me or calling me. The world is quiet. I have my thoughts to myself. Nobody's going to interrupt me every five minutes or every hour or every two hours. And that's where I just, it just flows. I don't even know what I'm going to, what's going to come out of me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I go on these poetry benders. Um, and some of it has to do with, I have a couple poetry spouses, and we, we just, we inspire each other. We go back and forth, you know, sending each other poems or publicly posting poems, and that makes the other person think, hmm, I gotta respond to this in some way, and, and it's, it's this snowball that happens. I, I refer to them as my poetry spouses, yes. It's always good to have a muse. Yes, yes, they, they are yes. my muses, and yes. apparently I am their muse. Uh, they're very lucky. It's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful, and we all want to see each other, you know, rise and do well, and we all, uh-huh. you know, support each other's stuff. So, uh, is your poetry different from your from your lyric writing? Uh, yeah. Well, some maybe a handful of poems or prose will turn into lyrics, but most of it is not. I mean. Only on a few occasions have I written lyrics first and maybe even a melody and then given it to, um, if I haven't come up with music myself, given it to people I'm collaborating with. But most of the time, whether I was in the obituaries or another band or now the high gates, 99% of the time I, I will hear the music that they come up with. I hear the music that Johnny comes up with. And then I will pretty much on the spot think of lyrics or think of a lyrical premise. Mm-hmm. And, um, ooh, I didn't mention. Okay, it was th- I was 13 when I first realized I wanted to become a singer. Really? I was 12 when I realized I wanted to be a poet. Wow. That that was my calling in life. And then... From reading who? I, I didn't even read poetry per, really? per se. Really? 
I didn't have a favorite poet. I there was one song that I really liked that was on the radio, and that kind of inspired me to want to be a poet. It was um, Bonnie Tyler's "It's a Heartache," mm -hmm. and it was such a simple song. It was, but it just it cut through me the simplicity yeah. of it. It yeah. was straight to the point, and the plaintive way she sang it, and oh, it right. made me want to be yeah. a poet. And then. Or was do I 11? Think, do, you, do you think that was natural in her voice, or did she do that? Was oh, that no, she was, was, she, was something? she had a career as a Welsh singer. She had a very pure, clean voice, uh -huh. and then she um, uh, had, I think, vocal nodes, wow. and she had to have an operation, <laughs> and they told her, you're, you're, kiss your career goodbye. You're wow. never going to sing. And that's when she had her big hit. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> then, you know, she's got a, so many awards, they're doorstops yeah, yeah, now. It's yeah, ridiculous. But that, you know, that goes to the point, like, nobody should ever tell you you can't do anything. Right. Um, right. Even if you're, you're a guitar player and you bust up your hand and your doctor says, well, kiss your guitar playing goodbye, no. No, you, nobody well, should ever put those limitations on you. Dr. John got shot in his, got shot in his finger and couldn't play the guitar anymore. Yeah. And, that's, that, and, and, and that, that's when he switched to piano. Well, yeah, there you go. He's just switched to something else. Yeah. When I read about Julie Andrews uh, oh, losing yeah. her voice, yeah. um, well, my, I figured I better get another passion in life to fall back on in case I lost my singing voice. So then I took yeah. up photography. Yeah. And I really started getting into um, Photography and manipulating the images of you know the photos I'd taken, and so I could always fall back on that as a passion mm -hmm. or or you know poetry. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so it was around 11 or 12 yes. when I realized I wanted to be a poet, and then I was in my cousin's bedroom, and she wasn't home, and I was going through her records, and I came across Susie Quattro. And I, even before I put the records on, I was looking at the record covers. There she was, and she was hanging out with all these cool guys, and they were all smoking and drinking. <laughs> and I don't want to be a poet because they might just be lonely and stick their heads in ovens or something, you know, or go jump off bridges. I want to be, I want to be like Susie Quattro. I want to be a <laughs> singer. And then I put it on the turntable, and she was screaming and growling. Ah. <sighs> So that was it, huh? Yeah. Did you ever meet her? No. Oh. No. Um, I for I I I I don't I, I don't really know if I'd ever want to meet my heroes or idols because what if they're having a bad day and then they're assholes to I, you? I know. Um, I know. I know. I, I've been I've been lucky, but I've I've gotten to, to interview many of my heroes. You know, and I mean the thing is. But the thing I learned about that, about, about they might be assholes, is I'm a big baseball fan. And I used to do um, the Baltimore Orioles pregame shows for a couple of years on the radio, right? Which was a big mistake because I had to, like, interact with all the players. <laughs> and I found out that all my illusions were shattered and <laughs> they were just mostly a bunch of assholes. So it's, it's sometimes, it's, you're right, sometimes it's not good to meet your heroes. But, you know, sometimes it is. Yeah, sometimes it's, it's well. It's yeah, because better. if you meet like your favorite writer, and what if they're an asshole to you? Maybe it lessens your enjoyment of their writing, or your favorite musician. And yeah, yeah. you know, certain people, I don't want to lose my enjoyment of, of you know, their music. 
right. or, or they're right. writing if I ever meet them and they just happen to be having a bad day because we all have bad days yeah. or, you know, people yeah. misread yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, sometimes it's, you know, it can be wonderful. I mean, I interviewed Sun Ra one time. <laughs> oh my gosh! I somebody asked me if I wanted to be a guest interviewer to interview Janice Ian oh. on the radio uh -huh. because they said it was a DJ and they said they weren't well well versed uh -huh. in all things Janice Ian. Yeah, and I was. They knew I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even if I even if I am very well versed in Janice Ian, I might have just like been. Sitting there, hubba, hubba, do, do, hubba, do Chris Farley. Yeah. Remember when you did this? Remember, Remember when, when you, you wrote did. that song? That was cool. And I didn't even want to take that chance because then it's a case of, well, the artist is maybe not having a bad day, right. but when you're meeting the artist, right. you act like a total idiot. Right. Yeah, but sometimes, you know... Um, uh, I did that. That happened when I met my, one, one of Paul Bartel, who I admired, the filmmaker, yeah, yeah. who I had admired for a long time. I was a total idiot to him. <laughs> he kind of ro rolled his eyes at me. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's actually o sort of okay uh, if you find out that somebody's kind of like that. I human? Mean, yeah, human. Yeah, like well, I, I interviewed yeah. Keith Jarrett one time, and, and I <laughs> asked him, what, what do you think people do when they buy your album and take it home and listen to them? And he said, I'd never th I've never considered that. <laughs> I, just, I, was, I couldn't, I mean, I was flabbergasted. But another time, uh, I did, uh, I was going to interview. Well, once you unleash art into the world, it's theirs to do with as they please. So I, I understand that mentality. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> sort of, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I want people to react. I want people to react. You know, that's my whole th my whole thing is I want people to react to to, to my work. Uh -huh. But I I was going to do a, uh, an interview an hour on the radio with the great Cecil Taylor, the you know the avant garde pianist who, who was known for eating for eating people for lunch. Right? <laughs> and I was scared to death, scared to death. So I called up Gary Giddens, the uh, jazz critic of the Village Voice, and I said, who I, who I knew knew him. Said, would would you would you do this? Would you please come on and do this on my show with me? Would you, would you also be a guest? And he said, Yeah. And it went uh, oh, very nicely. It went very nice. Super. <laughs> but um, uh, but don't interviews uh, interviews ask you mostly stupid questions? No. Really? No, no question is stupid. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's all. Yeah, um, it's all. It's questions. all. I mean, it's all good. Lots of stupid it's all good, you know. Yeah. Certain different people have different slants, you know. Like sometimes you'll do. I, there was an interview I did, uh, a short interview that I did uh, several years ago uh, for Willamette Week. Um, I was in town for a show, I guess, and basically mo the whole interview was political or was in, was active uh, about activism mm -hmm. because I was the girl Friday. Uh, to an activist, George Tab, uh -huh. who's a musician, and it was regarding the 9/11 illnesses, and that's uh -huh. that's what I wanted to talk about, yeah. and that's you know the interviewer he was he was aces. That's what he's like. Hey, yeah, that's what we should talk about. Yeah. You know, so um, we could you and I could get together next year for an interview, and it might be totally about something different than what we're talking about now. Yes. So there's really? there's no dumb questions. Yeah, there are. 
Lots of dumb questions. Really stupid questions. I hear them all the time. Well, okay, here's a dumb here's a dumb question. Here's the only question that bothers me. Yeah. And this is this this doesn't even have to do with interviews. If I ask someone a question uh-huh. and they answer it with a question. Well, oh, that's the worst. Well, I why do you want to strangle them? I want to strangle them. Yes. That is the only question <laughs> that so ever annoying. bothers me. It is really annoying. And I it is so it's hard annoying. to hide my so annoying. I mean, if it happens more than once, <laughs> more than twice with the same person, you know, I let them know, and then it just really annoys me. I, I, I did learn the magic question, though. If you ever get stuck, I teach this to all of my writers. If you ever get stuck, if you have a brain fart or, or you're in the middle of an interview and you can't think of what, the, what, 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 what your next question is, all you got to say is you let, the, let the person finish their, their answer, and you go, what's the challenge in that? Beautiful. It always works. It never fails Beautiful. because everybody wants to talk about the challenges yes. they face. And, so <laughs> and that buys you, that yeah. could buy you 20 seconds or five minutes. Oh, it could easily and has. <laughs> Brilliant. Because I don't care how long you've been doing it. You can have a brain fart anytime <laughs> in anything, you know. <laughs> so uh, what do you do to run away again? Um, never. Oh, good. Um, that's probably that's probably healthy, don't you think? If the Highgates and their families, yeah. if the Highgates members and their families were to want to move to England or France tomorrow, yeah. I'm there with them and I'm moving okay. with them. All right. Other than that, no, I'm here. Good. Good. And and I mean, this is where I come from, so. Yeah. And you know. So when you were when when you were. Um, when you were when you were eleven, what were your poems about? You were they, you, you I didn't actually start writing poems oh, when I was eleven. Oh, oh, you just oh, you just. I wanted to be one. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, oh, and yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. I tell little kids, you know, who say, "Oh, I want to be an artist," and I tell them, "Well, either you are an artist, or you want to be one, but you don't yeah. do it. But if you're already doing art, then you already are an artist." Yeah. So I wanted to be a poet, but I didn't actually write anything. Um, I didn't write anything until I was 15. Mm -hmm. That's when I started, yeah, 14 and a half, 14 and a half, 15. That's when I started writing about stuff. And I, it was, it it was all about pain. It was all about emotional pain and, Uh uh, suicidal thoughts and, uh, short stories. Yeah. And, you know, um, who saw these? Being a teenager, getting stoned. Did anybody? And see how your these? parents didn't understand you. Oh right. Uh, you know, um, living at home, we're in a place where nothing changes. You know, and like your parents are you know, prison guards, that kind of stuff. Right. You know. Right. Who who saw these? Anyone? Nobody. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Um, um, I did. In one of the alternative high, little alternative high schools that I went to, uh-huh. I did get a, pu- a poem published, and it was about alienation, you know, how nobody understood me. And, you know, my classmates liked it, my teachers liked it. My mom got really upset because she thought it meant that I was gay, and she was ready to <laughs> kick me out of the house. Jeez. Oh, She's since reformed her views on gays, Very by good. the way, Excellent. but at the time she was ready to disown me. Yes. Um, um, and then I took 
some, I took some community college courses um, after, you know, after I, uh, it was mutually agreed that I leave high school. Um, but on both sides. Um, I, took, I took a community college class in art. And, you know, there was one class where the teacher said, draw what you see. And there was, you know, um, a, a skull, an ox skull, and a guitar standing next to it. So I drew the ox skull playing the guitar, and she got mad at me, you know, <laughs> because you're supposed to draw what you see, which is what I did. Yes. And... Uh, the thing is, lots of times what you see is on the inside of your yes. head. Yes. Well, that's when my grades started going down in yeah. the third grade when in art class when I started doing my own thing rather than the yeah. uniform thing. Right. And that affected my grades all over, right. not just art. Because I went yeah. from being an A student to just, you know, C's and D's and sometimes F, F's. Yeah. So, and, the, uh, and then the other community college class I took was in poetry. And, you know, we had to learn iambic and trochaic and stuff like that. And we got to listen to, like, Theodore Retke and Langston Hughes, you know, and, uh, you know, records. And, um, and that was cool. Uh, but when we had to read our stuff out loud, you know, people would give criticism to other, constructive criticism or praise to the other students. And twice, the, t the two different times I read, uh, everybody was silent and pretty much the teacher said, um, are you in therapy or have you ever considered therapy? Are okay, you now, are here, you now or have you ever? But you know what? <laughs> that told me that I was on the right track. Yeah. I was on the right track if that's the reaction I got out of the teacher yeah. and everybody. <laughs> so I failed the class because I didn't bother yeah. learning like iambic yeah. tro trochaic stuff. But, yeah. but it helped a lot because it helped solidify, um, you know, my aim with words, with lyrics, with, yeah. with prose, with poetry. But people understand you better now, don't they? Or do they? Um, it, uh, I'm, I think I'm getting clearer in what I want to convey. Uh -huh. um, that's, uh, now I'm getting... Uh, now I'd be so much more comfortable if we were just texting each other. <laughs> because if I see words in front of me, that's why I love to write people. I love to write letters to people if I'm yeah, upset yeah. with them yeah. or why I love to text people. Um, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll close because, your eyes. Because close, then close. I can, if I see the words in front of me, then I know exactly. I see. It just comes to me like a lightning rod. I see. Because sometimes I just, I don't know what to say or huh. I'll get, you huh. know. Uh, uh, kind of fearful about, oh, where am I going with this? Maybe I'm in over my head with what I think I, I, think I know what I want to say, but yeah. I have nowhere to go from there. You know what I've never understood? How, how, your, how your head and your heart can come out of your fingers. You know what I mean? That's, that's beautiful. I've never understood that. That's be a beautiful imagery. How does that work? I mean, I'm it's sure there's some, some psychologist somewhere, you know. It's a divining some rod. Academic, yeah, something like that. But I don't it's know. It's the beauty of the brain, the mystery of the brain. Uh, yeah, it is a mystery, that's for, yeah. that's for damn sure, you know. And of the soul. 
You know, I mean, all of a sudden there's something that, uh, where, where did that, well, I know it just came out of me, but how did, how did that happen? Yeah, when I sit down to write, uh, I mean, I, I develop such a dis- discipline every night writing. Yeah. Even if I don't have anything to write about, I, uh. I will sit and write about the state of lettuce in my fridge. <laughs> Because it, it's, you know, it's like exercise or it's like, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's, you get that endomorphin high when you, when you run. Yeah. But it's just, I mean, so every night I write, I don't even know what I'm going to write about or what's going to yeah. come out of me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, don't you get the same kind of high when you perform? The emotion. I never know what emotion's going to come out of me or oh, yeah. if I'm going to uh, think, of, think of, or if I'm going to maybe sing it slightly differently that night. Right. I mean, Ray Charles once said, they, they asked him, don't you ever get sick of singing Georgia on my mind? And he says, no, I sing it a different way every night. So anyway, like if I'm up there at a show singing, sometimes I'll just, I mean, I, I don't plan on singing things differently, but in practices, I'm always singing the songs differently just to try to explore different ways yeah. of interpreting it. Or if I should happen to be sick the day of a show and maybe I can't, sing it in the way I usually sing it, uh-huh. I can, I will have plan B and plan C for how to, you yeah. know, uh, make it enjoyable for yeah. me and hopefully other people. Yeah. So I'm always singing our songs uh, that we've written in different ways. And at a show, I don't know if I'm going to slightly alter something. And, and that tickles me pink personally, you yeah. know, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard people. That's yeah. why I could never be a Broadway singer oh. because you have to sing the, the thing, the yeah, same the every night, night. Yeah. and I'm just not yeah. built that way. Yeah. I interviewed Les McCann one time, and I said, well, don't you ever get sick of singing compared to what? He said, no, they want to hear it. Yeah! They want to hear it. I mean, I sing it twice twice, twice in the same set if they want to. Awesome. They want me to. Oh, then, of course, then I love he goes, that. Then he goes, well, of course, we're a jazz, we're a jazz band, so we, we play it differently every oh, time, yeah. and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> uh, how many thousands and thousands of times has he done that song, you know? Well, yeah. When, when I've we, never gotten tired of hearing it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> a good song. I could listen to uh, Be My Baby or any of the Ronettes oh, yeah. songs oh, yeah. f- just over and over and over for the rest of my life if yes. I had nothing else to listen to. <gasps> I just saw online... Uh, isolated vocal tracks from Be My Baby, the really? Ronette song. Oh wow. my gosh, it's, it's huh. oh, huh. that's like being in church. Yeah, wow. And huh. normally, a few years ago, I didn't like that premise of isolating tracks. Yeah. But hearing that, and then a few days before, I heard uh, Randy Rhodes' guitar work on on uh, one of the Ozzy Osbourne uh-huh. uh, uh, songs, and I love that, too. I'm one of those, where were you when you heard the news that Randy died, people. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, the, on the, the I mean, I'd love to hear the, 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 the Wrecking Crew isolated tracks, you know, the, the band. The Wrecking Crew? Yeah, the band that, was, that, 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 that backed up all the Phil Spector tunes. Ooh. and everything else mm. during that era. I've seen her live a couple of times and I just start crying yeah. because it, the, hearing the her and Phoebe Snow, the time I got to see Phoebe Snow yeah. sing before yeah. she passed away, I just started crying because hearing such beautiful voices within four walls there in person, yeah. I, it, it just too I much. Have, I have um, a uh, isolated track of Marvin Gaye singing Sexual Healing. <laughs> Oh, you almost did a spit I almost, take. I almost, almost did a, did a spit, spit take, take of excitement <laughs> there. Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Oh man. Uh, well, listen, we're about out of time. But this is we could go on and on. And I on could go this. on forever, <laughs> as you can see. <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming by. Uh, I is, thank you is, so much can, for having me. Is there a tune from this this uh, this this record that we can go out on? Uh, yes. Um, Hypocrites is a good one. Hypocrites. Well, good because you talked about that. Yes. Very good. Thanks a lot. Oh, thank you so much, Tom. Okay.